In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Hi. There's nobody I'd rather have on right now than Sam Dykstra. Is this like the holiday season brings us many gifts? For you, the Rule 5 draft has to be one of them, right? No? there. It's it's always one of the biggest days on the calendar, regardless of offseason or not. I mean, it's it's a time where so many people are trying to figure out who these guys are and to have a little bit of that knowledge and to be able to share it with people. It's, it's always a fun time. You know, I, I enjoy it just because it's guys getting major league opportunities that they weren't getting with their own parent clubs. And I think that's, that's the key focus of today. Um, but with so much movement, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's rivaled only really by the trade deadline when it comes to prospects moving all on one day. Well, fortunately, we have you to be an expert when we're where we're not experts. You you guide our and we usually I know the trade deadline just happened, Sam. Like we reference it like fifty million times. Remember what Sam Dykstra said. Remember what Sam Dykstra said. Remember <laughs> that. Remember that. So we're gonna do that again. Um, before we get to this year, I want to go back last year. You know, that's always the fun thing, right? To say, okay, who clicked? That you know, did you see this coming? Because um, there were some guys. In last year's Rule 5 draft, I mean, who legit contributed and were kept around, right? Yeah, I mean, there were some guys who were stuck on the roster. Um, I don't think it was necessarily any special class. I mean, like Thaddeus Ward clicked with the Nationals. He was there all season, but he battled some injuries, still got all the way through it. I don't think he was who they hoped he would be. I, I think he's going to open next year at AAA. Ryan Noda was probably the best of the class. He was the second draft second pick in the 2022 Rule 5 draft. He ended up being like a decent outfielder slash first baseman for the A's. That's that's basically what they need. Kevin Kelly sucked with the Rays, Mason Engler with the Tigers. So there were some that worked out, but in terms of like, was it was it there a clear star? Was there a Garrett Whitlock or going even further back, like a Johan Santana? No, that, that's not what the Rule 5 draft is anymore. It's not... Like, hey, draft this guy with a few notable exceptions for this year. Uh, draft this guy and hope he becomes a legit starter. It's more for the periphery of the roster, your middle relievers, your bench bats, that type of thing. So why isn't there that guy? I mean, like you, you named some that clicked, but how, how has it changed for you in terms of, of the high-end guy or the guys that you think, okay, you know, that guy's going to be really, really good? I think teams have gotten better at self-scouting. They know who to protect. And a lot of that comes from the rise of analytics and the rise of data. Uh, it, it's harder to hide guys now. That's that's for one thing. Uh, but it's also easier to know everything about everybody who's in your organization, what their spin rates are, what their velocity is, what their hard hit rate, their exit velocity, launch angle. Every player is broken down to a certain level. So there's really no way to hide a 
like uh, have a diamond in the rough. Maybe something somebody does something differently from here on out. But for the whole Rule 5 draft, you have to do that at the major leagues, and that's really difficult to develop in that way. So we're not seeing these guys who become full-blown stars. There, there have been some success stories. I mentioned Whitlock or Mark Canna in the last decade, but they're fewer and far between than they've ever been in the history of the Rule 5 draft. So, you know, last year I think that a lot of people saw the Thaddeus Ward number one overall pick coming. Um, did we – Mitch Spence – Guy who the A's took out of the Yankee system, he's number one this year. Did we see that coming? Was that was that the sort of layup? He was definitely on a short list. Um, I think the Rule 5 draft is different than other drafts in that it's tough, difficult to do a mock draft because <laughs> not everybody's necessarily taking the best player. They're taking the player that's right for their system and and right for their needs. So Mitch Spence was, I, I would say, like on a short list, he's somebody who people have been writing about, like, hey, the Yankees left him unprotected. He should be an option for somebody. I think the name that came up most was Justin Slayton, who the Mets took and then traded to the Red Sox. But he lasted deeper into the draft than I think may, maybe some people would have expected. But, um, no, it's not necessarily like, hey, here's this guy who's number one with a bullet in a way that Thaddeus Ford was last year. Well, you, you had mentioned, you know, Mitch Spence came from the Yankees. Then the second guy comes from the Yankees, too, Matt Sauer, you know, Royals, right. good for the Yankees. I mean, this is this is what happened with Whitlock, though, right? So it was Whitlock, Garrett Whitlock is, as you said, a great success story, although he had a little bit of a downturn this last year. And it was just sort of this confluence of events where you had a guy who had Tommy John and then COVID hit. And so, uh, well, you, you didn't pitch because of Tommy John. You had, you didn't have a lot of looks at him. He had to go on Instagram, and then you were basically basing off scouting reports from a few years earlier. And then on top of everything, the Yankees had a bunch of arms like that, much like this year, probably the same deal, like where they have a bunch of arms and – Good for whoever's picking them because you're reaping the benefits of the Yankees having a bunch of arms. You have Mitch Spence, number one, to the A's. You have Matt Sauer, number two, to the Royals. So uh, so we probably saw that. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is the Yankees are the gift that keeps on giving when it comes to the Rule 5, right? Yeah, and they also had Carson Coleman go to the Rangers with the last yeah. pick. Uh, you know, it's not often you see a World Series champ make a Rule 5 pick, but, you know, the Rangers are – See something with Carson Coleman. He missed the year with Tommy John's surgery, too. So maybe he's a draft and stash type. Um, I think the reason why the Yankees continually are getting, you know, guys taken from their system in the Rule 5 draft is they constantly have a 40-man crunch because they're signing big-ticket free agents, right? This is a, a team that is always trying to add to the Major League roster with outside additions. Uh, many other clubs would just be like, hey, we have a bunch of arms. Let's just see who works out. Yankees can't afford to do that. They need to go out and get a Carlos Rodon or, or Garrett Cole. Uh, if those guys are on the market, that pushes everybody else down. That means you can't protect as many guys as you'd like. And they are good at developing this type of pitching. Not necessarily the superstars. You look at who's their top prospect right now. We have it as you know Spencer Jones. It, it could be conceivably also Jason Dominguez next time we do our update. They don't have that top, top guy. But they have a bunch of these guys who all look like number four, number five starters. Yeah. And other clubs want that, especially when you can get them for only $100,000 like the Rule 5 draft offers you. Well, we were just talking about the, the Verdugo trade. And then Richard Fitz is a guy that he was traded in the Verdugo trade. And 
everyone, every scout said, okay, ceiling four or five starter. But as the scout told me, the Yankees have a ton of those, just like you said, a couple right. of them, a couple of them are in this draft. Um, so who is a, a cliche question? Who is uh who do you, who do you think of this group? Who do you like the best? Who do I like the best in terms of a prospect was Davis and De Los Santos, the third baseman who went to the Guardians uh, from the D-backs. He was our highest ranked prospect. We actually had him as the number five prospect for the D-backs. I think we were the high people on him, but that came because we did our update in August. I've always loved Davis and De Los Santos. Big guy, third baseman slash first base, probably going to be a first baseman in the end. The raw power is top of the scale. Guy hits the ball hard. He's hit the ball hard for a long time now. Just needs to learn to elevate it. But it's it's true 80-grade raw power. Um, as long as he gets to it, he could be a guy who hits 30, 35 home runs in the major leagues. He really struggled in the first half this year at AA Amarillo because he was super young. He was pushed there aggressively by Arizona. They sent him back to the complex midseason, had him make some swing changes. He was back to hitting above 300. He was slugging above 500 in the second half. Things seemed to really click. So I thought, okay, this is Davison De Los Santos getting back on track. Now, I think Arizona took a risk thinking like, all right, everybody saw the first half. They don't think he's going to stick. We're not going to protect him. We're a good club now. We're not trying to just hold on to guys. You know, we have 40-man roster spots we want to use elsewhere. We're going to roll the dice and see what happens. The Guardians took him because of that ceiling. And what's the one big thing that we've always identified about the Guardians offense last few years? It's power. They've always lacked power. Now they get it in De Los Santos. Is he going to make that jump? I don't think so. I don't necessarily think he's going to stick. I give him like a 30% chance maybe because it's such a big jump from double A to the majors now. And they have Jose Ramirez at third, his natural position. And they got Kyle Manzardo from the Rays last year at first base. So they have options. But I love getting him in camp and just seeing if he can be that power bat that they're missing so desperately right away. That's 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 exactly what the Rule 5 draft should be. Well, and that's really – you talk about the jump that that position player has to make. That's the challenge, right? Because let's be honest, with pitchers, as we saw with Thaddeus Ward and others, well, we can stash you as a reliever, as a low-leverage reliever or something along those lines. And, um, and so, it's, especially, by the way, now, when there's 936 pitchers used – in Major League Baseball, like that suggests that there there's more of an acceptance in baseball to use pitchers who aren't maybe not quite ready. But it's it's just harder to say, hey, you know what? We're going to carry this position player, and he's going to be able to hit Major League pitching. I'm I, am I wrong? I mean, I I feel like that's an easier way to go if you if you can stash a guy as a reliever, right? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you look at this list of who got picked this year. It's a lot of sinker slider guys. Because guess what? Every bullpen needs one of those types and probably has three or four righties who can th- throw 94, 95 and, and get a slider to get some swing and miss. Uh, it's much tougher to keep a bat on the major league roster for a full season, uh, especially somebody like David Los Santos, who really has only the one skill and it's hitting. He, he's not fast. He's not a great defender. He's not somebody you're going to put up the middle. He's got to play the corner infield spots. Uh, maybe he can DH, but and he's a righty bat, so he's it's it's a little bit more difficult to bring a righty bat off the bench too. The decks the decks stacked against him, but again the ceiling is so high. I just love a team like Cleveland rolling the dice. All right, number three, you have Anthony Molina, another pitcher, right in a pitcher, but comes from the Tampa Bay Rays. Right comes from the Tampa Bay Rays, the Rockies picked him. What's your take on him? Yeah, I mean he's somebody who's 
kind of basically major league ready. You look at the, the top of this draft between Spence, Sauer, Molina, and Drohan, those guys are all, you can kind of squint and see number five starters at some point this year. I think Molina could be that type. He did get a bunch of innings this year, 122 innings between double A AA and triple A. The stuff isn't really special, uh, but if you're the Rockies, you just take an arm. Like you need starters. Yeah. You, you can't afford to take some of these types who are like, oh, they're definitely going to be relievers. Molina's going to get a long run as a starter, at least in camp. The fastball is his best pitch. It's above average. Slider's just okay. Changeup's just okay. But he he throws strikes. And if you're the Rockies, you look at the board and you think Anthony Molina is the best starting option, you take him because those guys are so difficult to find for the Rockies, especially on the free agent market. Oh, yeah. All right, so the next guy, Shane Drohan. So uh, I follow Drohan, athletic pitcher, Florida State. Um, really sort of hit his stride in spring training, get off to a great start in double-A and then struggle in triple-A. So I texted our good friend, friend of the program, Brian Bannister, who is now with the White Sox. And he's he's another guy where you're always fascinated when he's attached to a pitcher because you're wondering what they're going to do. in ter- What do they see in them? Um, and I go back with Tanner Howe, for instance, of how they drafted him, how they saw this and changed that and – then, you know, finally they're on their way. But with Drohan, he, in a text, he brought up something, and this isn't like a, a Robert Sala, a Joe Benigno text. I think it's I, I think it's cleared. Uh, but it, it, I said, um, I was talking about Drohan. He said, yeah, you know, he walked some guys when he went from AA to AAA, and he mentioned the automated strike zone. It made me think, right? How much of this is impacted? Now, Drohan struggled when he got to AAA, and there was probably a couple different reasons. But I would be interested to hear your perspective of that, of when you get to AAA, how much this has impacted and how much they can sort of use that as, I don't want to say an excuse, but maybe a reason for the downturn. Yeah, I mean, you look across the board at AAA, walks are up, strikeouts are down. Um, Guys who typically used to – strike out a lot, they would go to AAA, the strikeout rate would go down as hitters. And you start to think, why is that? It's like, well, they for half the week, they're using an automated zone. There's no decision-making process there. The umpire hears a thing, calls balls or strikes. The other half of the week is a challenge system. Uh, you only get three challenges a game. So you're playing under two different rules for half the week. But anybody you talk to, that ABS system is not set. It is not perfect yet. No, It is not at a point where we are talking about ABS coming to the major leagues in 2024 because it still needs to be perfected. And part of that was it was a little bit smaller than I think a lot of pitchers would have liked. Which, by the way, not to interrupt you, Sam, but no, yeah, yeah. I, I've told this story. Uh, I actually was telling on a podcast the other day, Matt Bowman, Princeton guy, so obviously very smart, uh, Yankees pitcher. And he had he was the one that brought up, he's like, what I'm seeing is that shorter compact hitters have a better idea when they get up to the major leagues of the strike zone because of the automated strike zone. And then a week after he said that they raised it. So they raised, they raised the measurement of what a strike zone is in the last month of the season, which as I said, I mean, the pitcher's probably like, what, like what, right. what, what, what's go- like, what's happening? Yeah. So, so I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's, it must be, it's not it's not close, but this is another thing that they have to gauge 
when looking at these Rule 5 guys. Okay, well, when he didn't do well, why didn't he do well, right? Yeah, and it's it's very – I mean, it's, it's nice when you have a direct reason, when it is something that clear cuts, because sometimes it's just like, hey, the level's different. Uh, these guys are more experienced. Are they laying off pitches, what, what have you? But when it is something, like we said, like the data shows, walk rates are up, and his walk rate went up similarly – to what we were seeing from double A AA to triple A. Okay, you can kind of explain it. I think with Drohan, and I, you and I texted about this when he w- was unprotected, his velocity was starting to dip. Everybody yeah. got excited because his velocity was ticking up at the beginning of the year and it started to lose. So, like, if I'm the Red Sox, maybe I'm thinking, hey, this guy doesn't really have the pitch mix to be a true reliever. Maybe teams saw him late in the season and thought, okay, he's not everything we thought he was. But the White Sox are in that position where like, hey, they need whatever they can get. Mm-hmm. And if they see Drohan as a potential number five starter, go out and get him and use him because that's how rebuilds work. Just bring in as much talent as you can. Somebody's going to stick. Somebody's going to become your number five starter. Might as well be a guy who you can get for cheap. No, absolutely. So of this list, was there – well, first of all, was there anybody – that when you were looking at it, because this is the fun thing when it comes out and I'm texting you because you know what you're talking about and I don't, about what we see all these unprotected guys. Was there anybody who wasn't taken that you were surprised it wasn't taken? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, the, the, the fact that they, like, nobody jumps out, probably not, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there are some arms that, like, Anthony, and I'm going to get his name, uh, a little wrong here. Anthony Hoopy Tuyanatoa, who is a Rangers relief prospect, yeah, that's pretty good out of Hawaii. Um, he he really shoved in, in the AFL. Did not give up a run. I, I thought that was the perfect. You know, it, it was a small sample. I get that, but that whole league is about showcasing your ability. And he was pitching in the upper nineties. He felt like the perfect pick for this draft. I he was somebody who I was starting to research, thinking like if he goes to one of my ten clubs because I rank. 10 players for MLB or 10 different farm systems for MLB pipeline. If he comes to one of my clubs, I want to be on it <laughs> like where he slots in right. At, so like, I thought he was going to be one of those relief types that get, gets picked. Didn't work out that way, but now the Rangers get to keep him. And, you know, when we're talking about them taking Carson Coleman, taking the long ride, they still might use uh, him next year. So who was the guy that you were surprised was taken? One guy I was surprised that was taken might have been Molina, uh, just because he doesn't have that true plus pitch. I mean, the fastball, again, is kind of above average, and he does have some upper-level major league experience or minor league experience, and he's got some starter qualities to him. But, again, if you're if you're taking somebody in this draft, you have to at least think what they would look like as a middle reliever. I don't quite see it with him in that way. I get it. He's a raised prospect. He might be bringing knowledge about his game from the race system that you can, you know, implement with him with the Rockies and the Rockies need to be taking chances on starters. Uh, but he's not somebody I, I have the race system. He's not somebody who's ever really come close to the top 30 as deep as it is. Uh, so to hear his name called so early when a Drohan was still around and, and some of these other arms, I was a little surprised. Who? So at the end of the day, you feel like, like you said, I mean, it's, if you're on a major league roster, good for you. Success story because you've made it through the year. You get to keep the guy. And we know about the Noah yeah. Song stuff from last year, which was, you know, chaos. And they did everything they could to keep, 
He was Rule 5 eligible again this year. I kind of I mean, wanted somebody I else know. to take him. Just I, to- I know, right? I mean, it's that it's so intriguing. That, so in case people don't know, Noah Song, obviously he hadn't – he was in the – he was drafted the fourth round of the Red Sox, uh, was really good, really, really good in Lowell, his first professional year, uh, really, really good in international, and then had to do military service for, what, three years, three years, and didn't pick <laughs> – by all accounts, didn't pick up a baseball. Certainly didn't pitch off a mound. Didn't pick up a baseball. Right. Dave yep. Dombrowski says, "Screw you, Red Sox. I'm picking Noah Song." And and then he has this back ailment, evidently, uh, until he doesn't couldn't have the back ailment anymore. And then finally, they return the Red Sox. But we still don't know what Noah Song is and what is he for 26, 25, 26? Yeah, I mean he's technically raw, but I mean the you know the days yeah. are getting long. Yeah, on his prospect profile. What what was so up of uh, so that was the best story from last year. What was the yeah. best story from this year? Like what is it the you you follow these guys? There's, there's always good stories, right? I mean i I really like Nassim Nunez as a pick for the Nationals. If you ever get a chance to talk to him, he's a great guy to talk to. Um, you know he he's one of the best defenders in all of minor league baseball. He was actually a finalist. We had new millboards this year. He was a finalist along with P. Crow Armstrong and Sedan Rafaela as the defender of the year in the minors. He plays a really, really good shortstop, a really, really good second base. Um, could do that in the major leagues right now. And he's a plus-plus runner. Like, I love all of that. And uh, he's one of those guys you kind of root for because you want him to get his chance. He's now getting it with the Nats. The problem is it's like bottom-of-the-scale power. Mm-hmm. His slugging percentage at A this year started with a two. So that's not good. So I think the Nats are just going to see if there's like some changes they can make. But it started with a two dot dot dot. That's not good. That's not good. That's not good. Uh, That's going to be the pull quote from this podcast. Uh, But no, I, I I just I you know I love seeing guys who are excited about the game, are energetic, bring that electricity. I love seeing them getting a chance. Nats are kind of in that quasi land of like. All right, you have to be turning the corner on your rebuild now. Mm. This can't just be we're going to stash this guy all year. It has to be a little bit more than that. I would love to see that happen. It's not as cool a story as Noah Song, but again, his personality—he's going to win over a lot of people in Washington the more that they get to know him. Okay. All right. So another Rule Five in the books. Always spicy. Did no Roberto Clemente, Jose uh, Johan Santana. Um, I mean, I, I go way back. Vaughn Eshelman. This is like people nobody even heard of. Adam Stern. Josh Hamilton. I mean, people have heard of Josh Hamilton. But yeah, Lenny, Lenny DiNardo, Nesson, uh, analyst. Um, but uh, but I do want to ask why I have you when, you know, we, we were talking about the Yankees earlier and obviously the Soto trade or whatever. And this is what people want to know about, you know, when the, when the team gets guys or the rumored guys. Um, right. Who is – who is the guy? Anytime you trade Juan Soto, you better be get. I don't care if he has a year left or whatever. You better be getting back something. Like you had mentioned, this is the first Soto trade the, the National. The Nationals did well on that, right? I mean, I thought they did pretty well. It, it seemed like they did pretty well. I mean, C.J. Abrams really came into his own this year. Mackenzie Gore, I don't think he's hitting his ceiling, but he's like a legit guy. James Wood took a step back, but you could still make a case he's a top ten prospect in the game. So, like, they got a lot of different options in a way that yeah. they needed if they were going to trade Juan Soto. So who were for the Yankees? When the rumor names in the Yankees should people in San Diego be excited about? 
Yeah, I mean, the number one guy is Drew Thorpe. Uh, Drew Thorpe was our minor league pitching prospect of the year last year, purely based on stats. This isn't based off stuff, but he had a 2.52 ERA at high A and double A. Struck out 182 batters in 139 in the third innings. I mean, he it was getting whiffs left and right. He got actually better in terms of numbers when he went from high A to double A, so he handled that jump with a plum. His best pitch is his changeup. It's arguably the best changeup in minor league baseball right now. Really? Uh, the way, oh. yeah, it's it's real good. We gave it a 65 grade on the 2080 to scale. We it might go up to 70 by the time we do our mid or our off season update. It's really special and it helps because he's not a huge velo guy. Even in college, he was kind of 89, 92. But the way he plays off that changeup and has a really good slider and throws strikes, you hope he's a number three. I think there's a potential for him to even be a number two uh, mm-hmm. if it all comes together. The way his trajectory has gone so far. And he was a second-round pick. This is, wasn't like a huge big name coming out of the draft in 2022. But he's he's really taken off. And the Padres, you add him to a mix with Robbie Snelling, uh, Dylan Lesko, uh, you know, those are three top 100 arms right now. A lot of clubs would love to have three pitchers in a top 100 discussion. And this is, and we've talked about this before, the the art of building up prospects and where you know may be flawed and getting in them uh, involved in trades. The Yankees have been very, very good at this, you know, in, in recent years. I mean, they've had some guys who've panned out, but a lot of guys who, yeah, oh, you could never give up that guy, and then they don't do anything. Just right. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking of guys, but but this but when it comes to Drew Thorpe, it's like this guy, by all accounts, this is as close as you're going to get to, like, not a lot of room for error here. Yeah, I mean, he's a major league starter. You never know. Like, I, he threw a lot of innings this year, 139 and a third innings in his first full season. You never know when guys are going to break down. That seems to be durable, and that would seem to build him towards potentially like 160 innings next year if he's already put on this workload. Um, but I, I feel comfortable saying he's going to be a major league starter. And you don't say that a lot for guys, even in the top 100. All right. The last thing, Sam, is we were talking about this before, but people want, you know, the other trade that's happened involving minor leagues is Verdugo trade. Uh, you have three, well, two and a half, really, minor leaguers because you have one guy who is up and down. Um, you have Fitz is Richard Fitz, who is perceived as the centerpiece. And then you have a kid that was just drafted last year, who was six eight, and a ball of clay, as Craig Breslow said. Which, you know, I guess that's a compliment. Right. <laughs> um, just your overall take on these guys. Yeah, I, I you know, I go back to what we were talking about before, Robin, in terms of Craig Breslow comes from a pitching background, obviously being a major league pitcher, but also a pitching development background with the Cubs. Um, I think he's identified what a lot of us have identified in the prospect community. The Red Sox have a decent farm system. They have some interesting guys for sure. Roman Anthony, Marcelo Meyer. Arms aren't there. You know, since they graduated Bayo, there's not really that one guy who you look at and be like, okay, this is a future rotation piece for the Boston Red Sox. Um, and I think Breslow's might just be in the mindset of like, let's get as many arms in as we can. I know how to develop these guys. And the more arms we get, the more lottery tickets we get. So Richard Fitz became their number 10 prospect in our list. That's the second highest arm on the list behind Wickelman Gonzalez. Um, it, you know, so it says something about taking from the Yankees who have so many of these guys who were number four, number five 
guys. And he immediately is a top 10 prospect for the Sox. He's got a good fastball, good slider, can throw strikes, kind of average changeup. So you see the the things coming together there of a potential, like I said, number four or well, number five. Let, let me ask you about that. So if yeah. you, so if you look at Fitz from the outside and you right. say you say six foot three, looks like a starting pitcher, um, good strikeout rate, pretty good fastball, voted best command in in the Eastern League. Um Numbers are great. Best pitcher in the Easter League, some some would say, in terms of results. What is the thing? What is the thing holding him back? That universally, almost everybody's saying, well, his ceiling's like back of the rotation starter. Yeah, I mean, you'd ideally like him to have two above average pitches. It's one thing to get swing and miss at Double A. Um, it's one thing to throw strikes at Double A. It's another. What happens when you go to Triple A and guys aren't chasing? Your, your slider that's above average. Um, you know, you would you would like him to have a true plus slider, and I don't think he necessarily has that. Or you would like him to have an above average changeup to add to those other two. He doesn't quite have that. It's, you know, you look at guys who are even three starters, number three starters in the major leagues. They have three pitches that they can really go to. Fitz has that. It's just he's missing that really one that you can get super, super excited about. Um so that's that's kind of what's holding him back for me. And I think if you look at the Yankees last year, I know they have a bunch of arms, but if he was that good, mm. he wouldn't have spent the whole year at double A. Mm. Like they kept him at double A all season long. They never gave him that chance at triple A that he probably deserved by the end of the season. That that's telling in itself as well. All right. Good stuff. All right. Like once again, educating young minds. I appreciate that. We will we will reference you a million times over the next 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 two months. Um, but thanks, Sam. Always, always awesome stuff. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Rob.